0: When the lights go out on an entire island, the way they did in Puerto Rico this week, Gloria Gonzalez is someone you want to call. She's an energy reporter over at Politico. She knows her way around a power grid. She also knows a little something about
1: Puerto Rico. I was born in Brooklyn, New York, if you can tell from the accent, but uh, my parents were both born on the island, so it wasn't until late last night where all of my family members and friends on the island were accounted for. You must have been frantic. It's interesting because you almost, I hate to say this, but you're almost, I don't panic because I'm kind of used to this happening, unfortunately. Mm -hmm.
0: is used to this happening because Puerto Rico's power grid has been straining under its own weight for years. Hurricane Maria dealt a knockout punch, and it's never really recovered. While this week's outage is especially severe, the lights go out frequently enough that now Gloria's whole family knows the drill. After they figure out which relative has a couple of working outlets, everyone heads over to their place, waits the crisis out. As I looked at reports of flooding and mudslides, looked at aerial footage of soaked villages, it was pretty easy to think about this latest power crisis as a trick of Mother Nature. But Gloria sees it differently. After all, the lights here flickered out before the storm
1: even made landfall. This has happened before. It it keeps happening. This grid outage was completely predictable. It happens quite often, more often uh, than it should. And it's, it's a reflection of the fact that the grid is just so fragile that one issue in one section of the grid or at one power plant on the island just has this cascading effect and creates disruption all across the system.
0: Today on the show, why the lights went out in Puerto Rico again. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next?, Stick around. Are there reasons, geographic or... Otherwise that Puerto Rico is especially difficult to supply with electricity?
1: Yes. I mean one of the big challenges is that Puerto Rico is an island, right? It's not connected to mainland United States. And so so much of what the the island relies on is imported. For example, the island right now is heavily dependent on fossil fuels and much of that is imported into the island. And so whenever you have a storm disruptions, or honestly, even market disruptions like uh, Russia invading Ukraine and completely disrupting the oil and gas markets as it did earlier this year, that creates cascading challenges that trickle down to places like Puerto Rico, which are dependent on imported fossil fuels.
0: And my understanding is that a lot of the energy supply comes from the south, and it's just sort of strung along to the north of the island. And so that also creates a vulnerability.
1: Absolutely. So what what you see is that many of the power plants are located on the southern parts of the island, which was heavily inundated In this particular storm. But just generally speaking, anytime there's an issue in one of those power plants, it creates that impact across the entire system. Or let's say there's a a grid failure, a transmission line goes down uh, in the mountainous areas in Puerto Rico, which happens fairly frequently. That creates disruptions in terms of transporting the power that's generated in the southern part of the island to the more densely populated northern parts of the island.
0: You're painting this picture of a really fragile energy ecosystem in Puerto Rico, just because it's reliant on fossil fuels. The way that the energy moves around the island is also a pretty fragile situation. But I wonder if we could go back in time a little bit, because the folks who built this fragile infrastructure, it was the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, or PREPA, Can you explain who they are and what role they play here?
1: Yes. So basically, PREPA, the government-owned utility, was the primary operator, not just for the power plants, but for the transmission grid, which has since been taken over by a private sector company called Luma Energy. But prior to that, PREPA was in charge of, of the grid. I've heard
0: one person put it like this, that the story of PREPA is the story of Puerto Rico. I wonder why you think that is
1: that's an interesting uh way to look at it one of the challenges you have and and this goes back many years but PREPA was an agency that was uh financially challenged in a lot of ways and one of the issues that they had was they basically were under investing in maintenance basic maintenance for the grid they'll say they didn't have the financial capacity to do so. Others would disagree with that. But one of the challenges that led to the current situation is that PREPA was underinvesting in basic maintenance of the grid. So you had a grid that was falling apart. Substations weren't being upgraded as needed. Transmission lines, you know, weren't being upgraded as as needed. Vegetation management uh, wasn't happening at the rate that it needed to happen. So like cutting down trees so they won't Fly into the power lines. Exactly. And if you're familiar with Puerto Rico, you know, a lot of Puerto Rico is mountainous terrain, uh, rainforest. And so there's a lot of required vegetation management just to keep the transmission lines not being interfered with so that they can keep the power going across, as we talked about, from the south to the north.
0: There were a few reasons Prepa was in such bad financial shape. One big one is that historically, government agencies got their electricity for free. That meant Prepa relied on factories and businesses to be paying customers. And as those kinds of companies
1: moved off the island, Prepa lost all that money. And so, you know, with an agency like PREPA, you know, they talked about how they were challenged from a financial perspective. Uh, The entire government was challenged from a financial perspective. You know, there was to the tune of, you know, a massive debt. You know, when PREPA had to go into bankruptcy, it was... Basically, it's, it's been carrying around a debt of just shy of $9 billion. But if you look at the overall picture for Puerto Rico, the debt was actually above $70 billion, excuse me. And so that's one of the, you know, big challenges and one of the reasons why, you know, the federal government at one point stepped in to try to address the fiscal crisis that the island was engaged in. Here's what that looked like. In
0: 2016, under President Obama... Congress passed a law that aimed to restructure Puerto Rico's debt. The new law also broke up Prepa's control of power by privatizing the electrical grid. Last year, an American-Canadian company called Luma stepped up to manage the grid. But it hasn't exactly been smooth sailing.
1: So Luma took over the grid in June of 2021. There have been ongoing power outages since then. Um, If you ask Luma, they will say that they inherited a grid that was so fragile and complete disrepair, basic maintenance had been ignored. And so they spent a lot of their first year and a half in operation of the grid trying to ramp up that basic maintenance, trying to get substations upgraded, do vegetation management. They're defenders and they are people who agree that they've, they have improved performance and that they were starting from a very bad, difficult place. I sense a butt coming. (laughs) There's a big butt coming. There have been numerous challenges since Luma took over. One of the big ones, I think, is that you had a private entity that was not it's not a Puerto Rican company, right? It's a company um, that's a joint venture between a U.S. and Canadian company that came into Puerto Rico didn't understand the language necessarily or the culture. And you had some challenges in terms of just basic communication when there were issues. I think one of the challenges, you know, for Luma is that when initially when a power outage was happening, you would just kind of hear silence. And that was incredibly frustrating to people, right? When when something goes down, when a power grid goes down and you have no power, you want to know why and when it's coming back, right? So And silence communicates
0: it doesn't matter.
1: You know, it gives a bad impression that you're not trying to fix the problem, right? So that is one of the challenges. Some people will say that the other challenge is that, you know, they just didn't have their personnel uh, to actually deal with with the situation on the ground. They bought people from the mainland United States to work on the grid and and some of those employees just literally didn't understand the terrain on the island. And so that was that creating challenges as well. But one of the big issues is that, you know, the duration of the outages, how long they last, has been a big issue under Luma's watch, right? Right.
0: Like my understanding is there's some dispute about like whether there's more or less outages now, but the outages seem to be longer. And so people really feel it when there's a power outage.
1: Exactly. Some people will say it's all a matter of perception, right? You know, that the outages are less frequent, but because they go on for several days, you know, it, it's, it feels like there's, there's more of them. It's interesting because it's a question of like, how much does frequency versus duration matter? If you don't have power, you don't have power how much does it matter that it's happening more frequently or if it's longer, you just don't have power. That is the big underlying problem. And so, you know, the basic issue is the lack of power or reliable power for the people of Puerto Rico.
0: Yeah. You know, there was a big protest against Luma in August and it got some attention because the protesters were pepper sprayed. And I was looking at one of the signs that the protesters were carrying, and it was a great sign. It said "Luma go to hell," and it depicted the energy authority as a vampire bat sucking the blood out of Puerto Rico. It was very visually arresting.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting because that particular protest you are referencing was specifically directed at Luma, but it also was a reflection of the growing anger at the government of Puerto Rico and quite frankly at the federal government for all the issues that uh the people of puerto rico are dealing with outside of the power grid issue for example uh the education system is challenged they've closed many schools they don't have enough teachers you know if you're a parent you know what do you want for your for your child you want your child to be healthy happy and have a, access to what they need including a good education and that's a major challenge on the island. And the healthcare system, again, you want access to basic healthcare. That's been a challenge going back many years, predates Maria to some extent, but Maria also made that, you know, took that challenge to a whole nother level. So, you know, if you're a person on the island, you don't have access to reliable power, you don't have access to reliable healthcare, you don't have access to reliable water, and you don't have access to reliable education for your children. How frustrating is that?
0: And also, you don't have the benefit of either statehood in the United States or full independence, which would mean, you know, kind of not the kind of oversight that Puerto Rico has from the mainland.
1: That's a big frustration for a lot of people in Puerto Rico. Basically, there's a sense that, you know, and maybe more than a sense that people don't feel in control of their own destiny on, on on the island right they feel like you know this federal government is making decisions for them that they don't have a say in because they don't have voting representation in congress they can't vote for the president so they can't determine who the leader of their country is and then you have you know a private company coming in taking over their grid and they don't have any influence over their private company beyond these protests so so that's feeding into this you know growing sense of frustration and the growing sense that Puerto Ricans have the right to determine their own fate and they don't have that right now and they should
0: when we come back the american government has tried to fix Puerto Rico's grid, too. So why hasn't that worked? Discontent with Puerto Rico's electrical grid isn't a heady topic on the island. It's the kind of thing you talk about with your neighbors. Puerto Rican pop star Bad Bunny even called out the island's electric company, Luma, by name. At a concert this summer. No puedo en el de Rico. Luma el but Luma isn't the only actor at fault for the crumbling infrastructure that routinely leaves so many Puerto Ricans in the dark. The Federal Emergency Management Agency also bears part of the blame for what the agencies failed to do since the last catastrophe hit the island. In 2017, Almost exactly five years ago, Hurricane Maria, a Category 4 storm, crashed into Puerto Rico.
1: We're coming on the air right now because Hurricane Maria has made landfall on Puerto Rico. And this is the scene in Puerto Rico right now. A powerful Category 4 storm. Maria is hitting with 155 mile an hour winds, torrential rain, the strongest storm this island has faced in nearly a century. NBC's Gabe Gutierrez Maria
0: pelted the island with up to 40 inches of rain in some places. And it left a lot of the people here in the dark for months. To address the damage, FEMA set aside $9.5 billion to fix
1: Puerto Rico's energy grid. But only $40 million of that has been spent. Those dollars have been very slow getting out the door for a lot of different reasons. Um, we've seen, you know, this time last year, we hadn't seen basically any of the money be spent on any projects. Um, But then what happens in the intervening years, you have a change of administration. You have a a Biden administration that has pledged to make environmental justice a priority. And now you have a FEMA that is um, working closely with the entities on the ground in Puerto Rico to get those dollars out the door and onto specific projects.
0: But is FEMA a solution here? Because it's an emergency response unit. It's not its not about solving underlying infrastructure issues,
1: is it? That has been FEMA's traditional role. But one of the conversations that's happening specifically with regard to Puerto Rico is how FEMA can support not just a recovery effort, but a resiliency effort, right? Whether it's with the funding that's been set aside for reconstruction or technical assistance or bodies on the ground. How can FEMA as an agency take more of a long-term view of what's going on in Puerto Rico? There is a, a growing realization that we can't just rebuild when these things happen to the level that they were before because these systems, if you do that, they're just going to continue to go down over and over again, most likely. So how do you, for example, rebuild the power grid To make it more resilient to the next storm, you know, how do you build the transmission lines in a way? You know, can you put them under the ground so they're not as vulnerable to wind or can you? Put equipment at a certain level higher up so that it's not vulnerable to flooding, which was a big issue, you know, as we saw with Fiona. And so there's a big conversation about doing that. You know, it's a slow process. Anything involving the federal government obviously moves very slowly, right? So, um, how do you incorporate that resiliency thinking and mindset into the recovery efforts?
0: Surveying this electrical grid mess. It's hard to imagine the federal government allowing this to happen on the mainland. And I say that fully recognizing that there's a water crisis right now in Jackson, Mississippi, right? Like things are are bad on the mainland too in certain places. Mm-hmm. But to me, I feel like electricity is so basic to so many things that it it's just it's hard to think that this would happen.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I don't know how much you watched uh, television Monday morning, but if you saw most of the big networks were tuned in to the Queen's funeral um, round the clock, this was only a few hours after Fiona started affecting Puerto Rico, and there was a massive power just an island wide blackout. And Basically, there was no coverage during a certain time period um, because people were watching uh, or following the, the Queen's funeral. And, and not to, you know, anything against the British monarchy. I have nothing against the British monarchy. But it does speak to the fact that, you know, the island of Puerto Rico with more than 3 million people basically was uh, did not receive attention during that time period. I live in the state of Maryland right now. If the state of Maryland was experiencing a statewide blackout, During that period, I'm very (laughs) confident that there would have been more coverage uh, of that on the networks. Hurricanes aren't going anywhere. Nope. (laughs) They're (laughs) definitely not. (laughs)
0: How do you and how does your family think about their future on Puerto Rico, given that it seems like this will happen again without major intervention?
1: you know that's uh that's a great question because you know several of my cousins have uh moved to uh new york florida i have some cousins in el paso um they're not living on the island uh, anymore they go back and visit but you know they don't see a lot of opportunities for them there right and i do wonder if that's going to be the case for more of my family members are they just going to keep leaving the island because of some of the issues that we've talked about now. I have other relatives who will not leave the island under any circumstances. That's their home. And they grew up there. They've lived there for decades. And, you know, no amount of challenge is going to drive them away. But those challenges are going to get increasingly worse um, if they're not addressed. And so, you know, and and it's not just my family, it's, you know, Puerto Rican families are going to have to answer these questions for themselves. You know, how much are they able and willing to tolerate in terms of these ongoing challenges uh, to stay on the island that they consider their home?
0: Gloria Gonzalez, I'm really grateful for your reporting. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Gloria Gonzalez is the deputy energy editor at Politico. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Carmel Del Shad, Madeline Ducharme, and Mary Wilson. We're getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips and Jared Downing. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. I am handing the reins over to What Next TVD right now. Lizzie O'Leary is going to be in this feed tomorrow talking to Slate's Mark Joseph Stern, one of our favorite guests, about new state laws to censor the Internet and what that all means for social media. I will be back in this feed on Monday.